Well, good morning again. What's your favorite part about Christmas? The whole Christmas season. Like, what's your... You can yell it out. Family together. Everything I hear. <laughs> Eggnog. <laughs> Lights. Well, you're all wrong. It's presents. It's presents. <laughs> you ever have a, had a gift? And this will tie in, don't worry. You ever had a gift, though, that you uh, were so looking forward to? Like, you, you really wanted it? Remember when you were a kid or something? Like, you had something that you, you were just so hoping that you would get. And maybe you had to wait a long time for it. Or maybe you just weren't quite, you know, you just had to wait for it. I, for me, um, we, when I was a kid, you know, I... I've got, uh, I had those action figures. I showed one once, uh, the, the DC action figures and stuff. Well, I had a Batman and Robin, and, you know, you can't have a Batman and Robin without having a Batmobile, right? And, and the Batmobile for those was so cool, and that's, that's what I wanted really, really badly. So I asked for it and everything, and, and thankfully my grandma and grandpa got it for me uh, one year, and I was, I was really excited to get that, to get that Batmobile. Now, that had been lost to history but if you go to my office right now, there is a Batmobile um, from that toy line because I went and I went and found it up in Kokomo, and and I paid way too much money for it, and I won't tell you how much it was, but but it's awesome, it's awesome, yeah. Cars, I always like, I always wanted cars too. I always told my dad, especially in my twenties, you know, I was like, they'd always ask me what I want for Christmas, and I was like a new car. Um, and I would get one every year. They were about that big. <laughs> My dad thought that was hilarious. I did not. I did get an RC car, though, once. What about, um, anybody seen the Christmas Story, Christmas Story movie? Great movie, right? You know, what Ralphie want in that movie? The, that's right. That's right. I mean, it was an official Red Rider Carbine Action 200 shot uh, range model air rifle. Uh, very important. He told that to everybody, right? He told that to his mom. He told that to his teacher, to Santa. What they all tell him? You should try out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I still love Santa. He's like, you should try out, kid. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Um, but you remember at the end of the movie, and if you haven't seen this movie, it's 40 years old, So, and it's on all day on Christmas. So if, it's, if you've not seen it by now, that's your fault. Um, <laughs> But at the end of the movie, you know, they, they open up all the presents and everything. And, and, you know, his kid brother's passed out on the floor. But he's sitting there with his mom and dad. And his dad asks him if he got everything he wanted. And he's like, well, you know, not really. But, you know, it's a good Christmas. He's like, well, what's that? What's that behind the desk over there? And he's like, what? He's, so he goes over behind the desk. And he pulls out this long wrapped box. And, and it was the, the air rifle, right? The... And he was so excited about that. And his dad was also very excited about that. You could, you could tell in, uh, in the actor's face and everything. But, but he was so excited to get that gift that, that he had wanted for a long time, wanted all that year and everything. Now, today we're continuing our series, Behold, Our Savior's Here. Where we've been looking at different people surrounding the birth of Jesus, surrounding the events of Jesus' birth. And in week one, we looked at uh, Zechariah and Mary. We looked at how Gabriel came and told them about the births of their, their sons that they were going to have, both impossible things, right? Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were, were old and, and not able to have kids. Um, but Gabriel comes and says, you know, you're going to have a son 
uh, which would be John the Baptist. And, and Zechariah's reaction was a bit skeptical, right? He didn't really believe that it could be done, and he asked, how can I be sure that this would happen? Gabriel also came to Mary, and, and Mary had a more faithful reaction when told that she would uh, have the, the Savior would be born to her. And she's, she really just asked one clarifying question, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? But then she responded very faithfully saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now, last week we looked at the reactions of around the actual birth story of Jesus in Luke 2 and, and Matthew 2, where we looked at the highest person in the land in King Herod, right? And, and his reaction and, and some of the lowest people in the shepherds. And Herod, he was prideful. He had that power and he didn't want to give it up. He wanted to keep that white knuckle grip on his power. But so what he did, he had the, the, uh, shepherd, or not the shepherds, the magi came and, and were seeking out the child, right? And he tells them where Jesus would be born. He finds that out through all of his uh, religious scholars and everything. And under the pretense of worshiping him, he says, go and find this child so that I can come worship him. But he didn't really want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. And, and we see that because after the magi didn't return to him, they went home a different route. Herod gave the order for all the boys who were under two to be killed. Shepherds, on the other hand, when they heard the good news of Jesus' birth from the angels in, in the heavenly host of angels when they were out in the fields, like Tom just read, they were told the Savior had been born in Bethlehem. So what they do, they, they go and see the child. They were among the first outsiders to go see this child. And, and were, they left rejoicing. They told people about it. They shared the good news that the Savior had come. Today we're going to look at a couple of people who were waiting for a gift. One that I think they thought they might never see in their lifetime. It's a gift that, that all of Israel really had been waiting for. These two people are named Anna and Simeon. We don't always include them in our Christmas story because we, we read the, the Luke 2 narrative a lot of times, right? And then we kind of stop there. But really, they are a part of it, even though it's a few days later, eight days later, which we're... we're We'll get to the actual scripture here in a second, but in order to help understand the story, in order to help understand the gift that they're looking for, we need to go back and look at the history of Israel. And to do that, we've got to start back in the very beginning in Genesis. And so if we go to Genesis chapter 1, right, you've got the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in it. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. What did he create on the sixth day, right? Created mankind, right? He formed man, formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, breathed life into him. And from Adam, from Adam's side, he, he took the rib and, and made Eve. And, and they placed them in the Garden of Eden, and everything is going great until... Chapter 3 of Genesis, when the serpent is introduced. And the serpent comes in and he asks a question. He says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from this tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because that was the one prohibition, right, that, that God placed on Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, you can eat of any tree. Don't eat of this one. But the serpent comes in and he says, well, did God really say that? You know why he said that? Because he doesn't want you to become like him. Because that's what will happen. Your eyes will be opened. And the fruit's pleasing to the eye. Scripture says that. And so Eve takes the fruit, shares it with Adam. They both eat. 
And that's the first sin. And from there, that's the fall, right? That's the, the relationship with God ruptures at that point. And all of a sudden, we need a Savior. We need someone. God didn't leave it there because also in chapter 3, God gives the first prophecy really for Jesus. And it's when he's cursing the serpent. He says, the seed of the woman, the descendant of this woman is going to come and strike you in the head. But you're going to strike him in the heel. Now we move a little bit forward in the story to Abraham. And Abraham is, is a man who is called out of the land of Ur. God called him to go wherever God would lead. And Abraham was faithful. And he, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And so Abraham goes and God promises him that he will become a great nation with descendants that would outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. What a great promise. Abraham and his wife Sarah, they, they weren't able to have kids. They were older as well, like Zechariah and Elizabeth. But God said that this would happen. And, and that's what happens. He makes a covenant with Abraham, a, a covenant promise. A covenant is an agreement made between God and a person or a group. And what's interesting about this covenant is that God places on himself everything about it. So normally when the covenant, you've got two groups, each has, each has a part, right? So each has to uphold their side of the covenant. And if one fails that side, then the other one could be like, okay, well, the covenant's off. But God didn't do that. God was like, God took it all on himself. And so he would be the one held responsible if it failed. And we have failed that covenant many times after, but God has not. And so God makes a covenant promise with Abraham for, to form a nation from his descendants. And that's what happens. And we see that as we go down the line. Abraham has his son, Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, one of them named Joseph. And Joseph is, uh, I, don't know, I don't want to say like full of himself a bit, but he has these dreams where he interprets them as his brothers all bowing down in front of him. And his brothers did not take real kindly to that, if you know the story. If you don't, uh, they wanted to kill him. Thankfully, I think it was Reuben, if I remember right, was like, well, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't kill him. That, that might be bad. You know, our father really likes him. He gave him that nice fancy coat. You know, and so maybe we shouldn't kill him. But, you know, well, let's try something else. And so they sell him into slavery, into Egypt. And he's, he's taken to Egypt and through some amazing circumstances, God moved circumstances. He ends up becoming second in command in Egypt from a slave to being in prison to being second in command in Egypt. And out of that, the famine comes and it's affecting all the area. And so it affects Israel as well. And or the area where uh, his, his father lives and his family. And he brings them all to Egypt to live, and they give them, Pharaoh gives them a plot of land, and they grow. They, they grow into a group of about a million people over the next 400 years. But in that time as well, the Pharaoh's like, wait a second, the, the Pharaoh 400 years later is like, 
that's a really big group of people. We need to do something with them. And so they enslave them, right? So then God sends a rescuer there because he sends Moses. And Moses goes and tells Pharaoh to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no. Over and over, he says, no. Ten plagues happen. Last one being the worst, the firstborn sons die. But God rescues them out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. And he leads them through the Red Sea and, and on the way to the promised land. Now, the Israelites, they grumble on the way. They're not super happy with their, that sometimes they're like, we need to go back to Egypt. At least we had food there. And God gives them food. He gives them manna. He gives them quail. He gives them everything that they need for the journey. And they make this journey. They get right up to the, to the edge of this promised land that God was going to give them. And they send 12 spies over. Ten of them come back and be like, this is impossible. These people are huge over there. We cannot take this land. Two of them come back and they're like, we, we have God on our side. We can do anything. <laughs> but the ten kind of outweighed the two and, and turned everybody against them. And so God's response to that wasn't great. He sent them back out into the wilderness for 40 more years until that generation passed away, except for the two spies that went in. They were afraid. But eventually, the time passes. They go into the promised land. They conquer that land. And things are pretty good. They're, but they eventually want to be led by a king, like all the other nations around them and everything. And they get the first king, and he's okay for a little while, and then isn't great. Then David comes. David's a good king. Then Solomon comes after David. And then after that, it splits into two nations. There's a civil war, and everything splits. And then each of those nations worships idols, worships other gods. And they're conquered, eventually, by Assyria, Babylon, they're taken into captivity for 70 years in another country. But after that time, a remnant, because there's always a remnant that God preserves, a remnant returns to Jerusalem. And throughout all of this, there's a promise throughout everything. There is a promise of a king that is to come. A king who would restore Israel. A king who would lead them like David did but even greater than David. And that's where we're going to pick it up because that's what everybody's looking forward to. That's the gift that everybody wants, is that king, the Messiah. And so when we pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, as we talk about Simeon, it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise a child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It, was, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
So here we have Simeon, who is described as righteous and devout, and he is waiting for a gift. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, is how Luke puts it. Consolation is like a comfort that you receive after a loss or a disappointment. He's waited for the gift of this promised Savior, the Messiah, the King who God had promised would come. And the really neat part of the story, I think, is that this was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. That was not normal at the time. They didn't all have the Holy Spirit at the time. And so there's something special about Simeon that he did have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. And now, like the saying goes, he can die happy. Right? Listen to his prayer in verse 27, where it says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When, his parent, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He's so happy to see the king that has been promised. And so he praises God. But in this praise, there are some interesting things. He says it's not only just for the glory of your people, but it is for the glory of of Israel, but also he's a light for the Gentiles, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. After his prayer, he's given the child back, blesses Joseph and Mary, and says something interesting prophetic in verse 33, where he says the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon says he's going to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and it's going to be a sign that will be spoken against and like this is just kind of preparing Mary and Joseph for what's to come. Shows his life wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be all sunshine and rainbows as he went about his ministry. But then he throws the prophecy in there really for Mary as well. A sword will pierce your own soul to you. Which would have happened, Right? when Jesus was crucified and his mother was there. So that's Simeon. But let's continue. Let's look at Anna. Verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So again, this, this woman was married for seven years, and unfortunately her husband passed away, it seems, and then she spent her life as a widow 
Now she's 84 at this point in the story, at least as far as we can tell with the math and everything. But how does it describe Anna? It says that she spends her time in the temple day and night, fasting and praying. It seems like she's waiting, waiting on the silence to end for the king. But also, still worshiping, still still interceding for people, praying and fasting for them. But she too got to see the Messiah before she passed away. She, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to everybody who was wait, awaiting God's redemption. This is just neat, I think. These stories are, are really interesting, really fascinating to me. And why do we talk about these two? I mean, it's, it's 13 verses. It's not a whole lot. Luke is the only gospel that actually mentions them. And they're, it's just simple stories, you know. They, they were just at the temple when Jesus came to be circumcised eight days after his, after his birth. But we remember them because of their wait to see the king, because they got to see the Messiah. And we, too, have been given this gift to be able to see the Messiah, to see Jesus. Now, it's true, we don't get to see him physically as a baby or an adult, but even 2,000 years later, we can receive this gift. We have, a lot of us, received that gift. Because that gift was promised a lot longer before the Israelites were a nation. Right? It's a gift that was promised to mankind. A gift to each and every one of us. Because something happened at that fall when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And took the fruit from that tree. Sin entered the world. And ever since then, we have been in need of a rescue. And that's what our gift is. He is our rescue. He's our life preserver. He is our life changer. God gave us the gift of his son. Why? Because he loves us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We accept the gift. And no matter what we've done in the past, like we talked about, no matter what we've done, we are, we're new creations when we accept that gift. In Philippians, Paul calls the followers of Jesus saints because that's what we are as followers of Jesus. We are saints. It doesn't always feel that way, <laughs> but that's what we are. And it's not because of anything that you've done. Amen? Like, surely you all would be like, you know what? No, I am a saint, Nick. I've been perfect all my life. I call you a liar. <laughs> it's not because of anything you've done, but because of the amazing gift of Jesus Christ. The gift is this. He went to the cross to die for you. To become the perfect sacrifice for you. Because you couldn't do it. And all we have to do is to recognize that and accept that gift. God's laid it out there for you. We just have to take it. But we've got to be ready, though. Because when we do take it, we change. 
We do not stay where he found us. Everything gets flipped upside down because it's not about us anymore. It becomes about him. And that's what Christmas can keep reminding us of, that it's not about us, but it's all about Christ. We've got to take time during this this time of year because we do get busy. We do have a lot of things that are on our plate, meeting family and, and doing all the traditional stuff, which aren't necessarily bad, but we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ. His birth, his death, his resurrection, all of those things, because that is what God has given us as a wonderful gift in our lives. If you're here today, you've already accepted that gift, which I know most of you have, then that's amazing. Absolutely awesome. But we want to help you always be equipped, though, as well, to be ready to give the answer for the reason, the, the hope that you have. That's why we come here, but we also worship our Lord as we come here. If you haven't yet given, accepted that gift that God has given you, then I pray that you would. Honestly, this time in Easter, probably the best times to do it. Actually, no, today is the best day to do it. I don't really care what day it is, but today is the best day because we don't know what tomorrow holds. And I don't say that to try and scare you or anything into following Christ, but maybe a little bit (laughs) because what's on the other side of, of the veil? If you're not following Christ, it's not pretty. But if you are, it's heaven. Literally heaven. And that's what we look forward to. That's the hope that we have in Christ, our Savior. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we so thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that 2,000 years ago, these two people, Anna and Simeon, could have the privilege to be able to hold the child, to be able to hold the king in their arms. Something that they had looked forward to all of their lives. What an amazing gift you gave them, Lord. And while we may not be able to physically hold Jesus yet, you've still given us that gift of your son to save us from our sin, to save us from ourselves, to rescue us. We are so thankful, Lord. So thankful. Father, we come to the time in our service where we remember the sacrifice that he made for us. To take our sins to the cross, to die with them there. We don't ever want to be flippant about that. We don't ever want to be just too easy going with that. Lord, we, we just want to remember the sacrifice that was made. That you suffered and died for us, for me. And so we'll take the, the bread 
representing his body broken. We take the juice representing the blood that was spilled. And we remember. But Lord, we know that he conquered death as well. And we celebrate that. Father, thank you so much for your many blessings that you've given us. But thank you so much, even so much more, for the gift of your son, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, the most humblest of ways to come into this world. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.